Bible, you're going to want to follow along in Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. There's three or four right here. Now listen, if you want to know why I'm such a smart aleck, it's because of my family. I'm going to flame, okay? It's all their fault, not mine. And they're here today, so you're going to want to uh, talk to them about my smart aleckness. And they're sitting in that row there. Raise your hand, guys. And here. And uh, then some others will be along later. But they already know. <laughs> yeah, they already know this, right? So Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we currently are. And we're almost, it's almost too hard to believe. We've almost gotten to the end uh, of this uh, uh, precious book. What are we studying and today? What are we going through today? Well, we have been, for the last several months or a couple months, uh, been talking about the book of Hebrews, written to the Hebrew Christians. Paul, I think, although he's not named, others think he's, it's another writer. I think it's Paul, but you be a Berean and think who you are convicted it, it is. <laughs> That's terrible grammar, but you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, just <laughs> So here we go. Here's what we've learned. We've learned that Christ is supreme. Oh, come on. That's so it's see in the Western world, it's no big deal because we're so desensitized to the gospel in a sense. But Christ is supreme. He is better or he is the greatest and most uh, perfect revelation that there ever has been or ever will be. He is the one who is upholding all things by the word of his power. We could have preached on that one in chapter 1, verse 3, for months and months and months. He upholds all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. What I'm trying to say to you is this book is about the supremacy of Christ. He's supreme in all things. They're writing it to these Hebrew Christians who tended to try and slip back under the old covenant, under the old traditions, under the old sacrifices, under the old law. And he's writing it, telling us that he's supreme over angels. He's supreme over Moses. That, to us, is not a big deal. To them, that was a great big deal. He's supreme over the priests that God himself set up To minister in the tabernacle, that roving, wandering tent that went with them everywhere they go so that they could sacrifice for coverings of sins. And they had a high priest that, guess what happened to the high priest uh, during the time of the Old Testament? He died, and they had to get a new one. And then that one would die, and they would have to get a new one. But our high priest is eternal. And what a priest does, and this is important... A priest takes the hand of man and the hand of God and brings them together. Jesus is our great high priest. Therefore, we don't need a priest anymore. You get it? Jesus is the ultimate. He's taken the hand of man and the hand of God, and he was perfect. Why? Because he was both man and God. So he was in the perfect place to be the great high priest, and we're going to talk about it today. But see, this covenant was a works-based, do-to-get type of arrangement. And it was given in foreboding circumstances. You're going to need to know Exodus 19 in order to understand today's lesson. Guess what? I'm not real smart, but I know Exodus 19 comes before Exodus 20. And in Exodus 20, they gave the Ten Commandments. So in Exodus 19, it's the precursor to that. And we're going to study that. It was smoke and lightning and shaking and trembling. And 
our great high priest, see, is, is the one uh, in which he's written his seal by his blood of another covenant, the covenant of grace. And our high priest, you don't have to now go and raise an animal and trot him down to the tabernacle or the temple and slit his throat and pour out the blood. You don't have to do that anymore. By his blood, one sacrifice for all, forever. The great high priest, listen to this. We have access to the presence of God always and forever by the blood of the lamb. You understand what access we have? You see, Christ is supreme, folks. That's what Hebrews is trying to tell you. And we've been going through it week after week. In fact, somebody said, and I'm glad she said it. It was a great comment. Right there in about Hebrews 7, 8, 9, right in that range, she said, wow, this all sounds the same. She wasn't being critical. She was just making an observation. And the point is, you're right. Because it's so important (laughs) that you have access. Remember, in the Old Testament, one person in the nation of Israel, one person had access to the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, and he only had access one day a year. Now you can come freely to the throne of God. You're shaving. You're in the car. You're at the soccer game. You're at your desk. By the blood of the lamb, you come right into the presence of the Lord. What access you have. And we, we've been talking about that. Now listen, here's what today is. If that is all true, and it is, what does it mean for you and I? Oh, the total perfect American question. Of course, it's about us. No, I'm kidding. But what, do you, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? Guess what happens? Hebrews 12 and 13 tells you what it means for us. Last week, we went through this beautiful thing. Isn't it beautiful? You mostly know Hebrews chapter 11 as the chapter hall of faith. But what I want you to see in such a beautiful way is that, you know, the Lord could have written out all the doctrine. He could have. He could have by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, bullet point one, propitiation. Don't, who here likes bullet points? Well, anyway, outlines, you know, uh, justification, sanctification, faithfulness, what faith is. You know what he did? He took the lives of real flesh and blood people who lived out as much as they could know in the Old Testament. That he li- they lived out their life with God. And listen, he put the lives of people down on paper. So you could, I, I could study the lives. In other words, listen to this. The Lord is concerned with people. If, if the Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ, you know how you get frustrated with people sometimes? Just sometimes. Right? They're irritating. They don't do the stuff you want them to do. See, the Lord is into people. And we learned last week that the Lord looks for the faith and not the flaws. Because everybody we read in last week's Hall of Faith was a flawed human being, just like us. And God worked through them and did things through them and then put them down on paper as people to be memorialized for all of eternity as, as an example of faith in the life of a believer. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, guess what? You know this? He's not done with that story. You people sitting in these pews, he's writing his story in your life. You're a poem, a poema, a poem. You're his workmanship. He's the author and finisher of our faith. You keep the story going. Yeah, amen is right. Good. Angie's back. Great. (laughs) We're all going to be awake today, baby. Let's do this. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Here we go. We've got till 2 o'clock to get this done. Hey, I stopped at 12.01 last week, folks. I know. You guys were, fell out of your chairs. Here we go. Therefore, verse 1, therefore. I mean, everybody says it, but if it's therefore, it means everything that came before leads you to, about, to, the, to the things that he's about ready to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
So you must know and be comfortable with the things that have come before. If these things are true, and they are, here's the way it's going to be. This is the way we're going to look and be and act and treat others. Ready? Here it is. First, with respect to ourselves. Therefore, we also, could it be any more clear, you as a Christian, these people as Hebrew Christians, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses. Who are those people? They're the Old Testament saints that we studied and, um, uh, last week. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Does that mean that they're up there looking down on us, cheering us on, and giving us encouragement? I personally don't think so. Others do. You can believe that. But uh, some people believe this is the witnesses of the Old Testament saints looking down and cheering you on. I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what this is saying is look at how their lives were lived. They still speak to us even today. That's what I think this means. You be a Berean and decide, okay? Two views on that. Here, these people who we've just studied in chapter 11, since we are surrounded by that witness... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Are you catching this? We said it this morning in the foundations of the faith. I wonder if you've ever thought of this. I'm going to give the same example. So if you were in foundations of faith, go to sleep for about a minute and a half here. But think about it. He's saying lay aside weights and lay aside sin. Which means weight isn't necessarily a bad or a sinful thing, but can be a hindrance to you. I gave this example. One time I was listening to Word FM, an interview of this lady who is in charge of a major ministry. I forget the ministry. And she was just a healthy, wonderful, beautiful, graceful, merciful lady. And it just came through on the radio. And finally the interviewer said, how do you have such character of Christ flowing through. She said, I felt, listen, the key to this is my dad. That's what she said. She said, the key to this is my dad. When I was a little girl, my dad was so committed to protecting us and growing us in prayer that he would wake up every morning, go down in the dining room, get on his knees and pray out loud for us kids. And she said, when we uh, would walk down in the morning, we could hear him praying by name for us And it's always impacted us in such a way we felt so safe and so loved and secured, but it came at a price. She said, my dad was a wonderful guy, great, uh, you know, outgoing, very hospitable. But if somebody was at our house at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, he literally would get up from his chair, shake their hands, and walk them to the door. (laughs) You know why? Because he had to get up the next morning to pray for his family. That's an example of setting aside a weight. There's, of course, fellowship is good. Hospitality is great. The Bible calls us to that. But do you see that? You You see how that thing could hinder him for the greater good of what he had committed to in the Lord and the Lord had committed to him. You catching it? And that's one thing. So, so the Bible says, get a, get rid of the weights because we're running a race. One time I was in seventh grade, no, ninth grade, and I was a high jumper, which is so dumb because I can't jump very high. <clears throat> and I was in track, and uh, I'm just standing there around the high jump pit and uh, just kind of, you know, I just did it for the social aspect and all that sort of thing. But somebody bowed out of the 800 the two times around the track thing, and the coach came over and said, hey, I need you to run the 800. I'm like, great, I'm, you know, I'm athletic, I'll do this. No problem. I'll probably win. That's how I thought. <clears throat> so they hit the gun. Oh, man. I, I got to go, this is the easiest thing ever. I take off out of there. About the 100 mark, I'm killing these guys. I mean, killing them. I'm like, this is easy. Why didn't they ask me to do this beforehand? And about the 200 mark, you know, no problem. I'm in good shape. No problem. About 350 or so. It hit me. I hadn't trained for this. I had considered this thing a sprint. 
And I sprinted out of there, and I was so far out in front, it was ridiculous. Except for from 350 to 800, somehow, some way, it must have been a fluke, I ended up dead last. <laughs> Why? Because I had considered the race a sprint. And the Bible here is describing our life in Christ not so much as a sprint, but as a marathon. And in order to, re, uh, to run a marathon, guess what marathon runners don't take with them? Weights. They don't have heavy hands running the marathon. That's a joke. Come on. <clears throat> you ever seen heavy hands? It's so weird. They're doing this as they're running. But anyway. Uh, <clears throat> anyway. Right? Marathoners. They, they, you know, skimpy shorts, little shirt, little socks. They don't want heavy stuff on. They don't wear sweatshirts. They get rid of the weight. Anything that weighs them down, they get rid of. They don't even carry their drinks. They have people to give it to them as they're running by, right? Why? Because they're running a marathon and they're getting, and the Bible is calling us with the supremacy of Christ. Listen to this. Because Christ is who the Holy Spirit says he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that we're to live a life that glorifies him. Glorify, what does it mean? It means make him big in our lives. To love God in his presence by the blood of the lamb and enjoy him forever. That's Christianity. And if you're doing that, as you're doing that, guess what the Bible says? You're going to become more like him, more Christ-like. You're running the race of Christ-likeness. And there's certain things that weigh you down. Here's some examples. Netflix. Not bad. Maybe. Could be bad. But not the best. Facebook. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We need to get off Facebook. Instagram, having your phones at your hand day and night, ready to see how many likes people are giving to you. Fellowship can be a hindrance. Did you catch that, what we said? We have some notorious talkers in this fellowship that remain nameless. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's great to fellowship, but right? Fellowship could be it. Hospitality could be it. Something can, anything could be so, uh, you put so much uh, towards it that it could hinder you in your race to be in the best and greatest place, and that's in the presence of the Lord, you see? So here he says, what is it? So my question for us is, what is your weight? What's, what's your weight? What's weighing you down? What's weighing you down? He's saying, he's saying get it off. Take, throw it away. Get, get rid of it so that you can run the race in a free and light way. Don't clutch your possessions. If your possessions possess you, they're an idol. If you could give them away, they're not an idol. But, but get rid of them if you need to, right? Possessions can possess you. Get rid of the weight. And then the sin. That, so I, I, catch this, folks. People, it's funny with, with sin. People kind of sneak around and do it. Like if you sneak around and do it, it'll be less easy to get caught. The problem is sin so easily snares you and snares you. It's like a trap right on the old leg or whatever, right? The steel trap. Sin is like that. Whatever it is, gossip, it'll trap you. Bitterness, oh man, you'll be a prisoner. And you could go right down the line. So get rid of sin and weights, he tells us. This is for us. Since we have this witness of what God can do in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, under the New Covenant, let's run. Let's run a marathon. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. It's not hard once you've given in to sin to get trapped. In fact, you will get trapped and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so if we're running like that, what do we do? Where do we place our eyes? I used to be a runner. I know you can't tell, but I used to be a runner. And man, if you just had your eyes in certain places, it would just get boring, right? So you'd have to fix your eyes, at least I would, on something. I used to just look at the telephone pole wires and, man, if I could just make it to three telephone poles, oh, great. And then you'd get to three and then you'd say, man, if I could make it to seven, wouldn't that be amazing? I'd play games like that. I was p- fixing my eyes on something, right? Here, the Lord says, in the race of life, 
Look unto Jesus Christ. Don't take your eyes off me. That's so easy. It's, I hardly even have to explain this. Peter found it out in the Sea of Galilee. As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus as he's walking on the water, boom, he sunk. But once he's there looking out there, Jesus, look at him, look at him. That's what we're doing on Sundays. But here's what the Lord wants you to do on Monday morning and on Monday evening and all day Monday. Even when you're doing your best work at work, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look unto him as you run this race. That's what he's saying. It's the safest and greatest and best place to be. Look unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. This is great. He's the finisher of our faith. See, the Old Testament witness. Yeah, right. Somebody hit that air conditioning. Lynn's hot. Okay. (laughs) No, it's me too. But anyway, the author and finisher of our faith. I want you to catch this. We do like inspiration, but inspiration will only get you so far. We need empowerment. Oh, don't get, don't, don't get uh, uh, preoccupied with him. Listen to this one. <clears throat> we need empowerment. It's not what would Jesus do. It's Jesus living in and through you. That's empowerment. That's what he's saying here. As we run this race, which is very difficult. You ever, come on now. Christianity cuts against the grain here. And you need strength and empowerment. You need resource to live the life. And he's saying, Jesus gives you resource, not just inspiration. That's big. Oh, okay. Well, that's big. And so what I need you to know is that we are to be counting on the finished work of Jesus Christ and his uh, resurrection. And now that the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life, he gives you power to live. He gives you grace to live. Don't believe me? Just read Titus 2 and 3. He gives you power to obey and to live. And you need to draw upon that resource. That's inspiration. And here it is, here it comes, the verse of all time. If you don't get this verse settled down in here, you're going to be a very unstable person. If you get this verse, this truth, this reality settled down in here, you're going to be a very stable person. We don't need self-help stuff at middle school. We need this. Who for the joy that was set before him... Jesus Christ, as we focus on him day to day, all day, endured the cross. He endured it. He despised the shame. Of course he did. But now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see this? For the joy that was set before him. And the joy, the Bible tells us, is that he, in Jude 24, gets to present the bride. The believing Christians. Listen to this. Listen to this one. What joy he submitted to the will of the Father in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done, Lord. I'm sweating drops of blood, Jesus said. This is tense and hard for me. And yet, not my will, thine be done. Because I know, at the end of all of this, when Tim Green dies, or whoever in Christ, I'm going to be able to usher him into the Father. Listen to this. Faultless and without blame. See, that's his joy. He gets to bring you to the Father by his blood. Jude 24. Write it down and don't, don't, don't tire of that. See, that makes a big difference for you. How does it make a big difference for you as you walk through life? Because here's what it makes a big difference for you. You people, listen to this. You matter. You matter. To God, you matter. You're important. He loves you. He's... Joyful that he gets to present you faultless before the throne of God. Isn't that beautiful? Don't think you're a loser. You're not a loser. You're a child of the king who's going to be with him forever. You're not a loser. You have stability in your life. Jesus brings you to God. Amazing. And so all of that, he sits down at the right hand of God. Now he goes on and he says, look, listen to this. Isn't this funny? Wow, we should... Get on TV and preach this one. So now that you have that settled, he says, now here's one way he tells us that you're going to know that you're in a relationship with God. Here it comes. You're sitting on the edge of your seat. You're thinking, all right, 
What is it that I'm going to get to show that I'm in relationship with God? Oh, well, here it comes. Here's how you're going to know. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now listen, who here has become discouraged? Don't raise your hand, but I know those lots of us have, right? You discouraged? You have weariness in your souls? You tired? You just think, my goodness, I don't know if I can do it tomorrow. It's Monday. <laughs> it's a joke. Mondays. Don't, okay, that's a different sermon. You just don't know if you can go on. You don't know what, and, and, and here the Lord is saying, hold on. If you'll have a different perspective about what's going on in your life, it's going to change everything. That's what he's saying right here. Don't get weary from tough circumstances. Don't, don't get weary from discipline. Don't get weary from chastening. Don't, who here loves the word chastening? Nobody in America loves that word. We hate that word. We're brought up to never be chastened. And here the Lord says, consider him who endured such hostility, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Do you know how to combat weariness? And discouragement, here he just tells you, he says it, here he says it, I don't say it, consider him. Think on him, be with him, uh, share with him, hear from him, love him and have him love you back, lest you become weary. Because you remember, you've not resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. In other words, he has, you haven't. He's speaking here to Hebrew Christians. They had some tough things happen, including they got some money stolen from them. They got, maybe they were uh, 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 shunned by their, their people, right? Uh, and, and, and they were trying to bring them back into the old covenant system. And he's saying, hang in there. You, cannot, you can even do more than hang in there. You can persevere. You can have a vital, dynamic relationship in the middle of terrible circumstances. Terrible circumstances. Ones that Americans hate. We love comfort, not discomfort. When discomfort comes, we're like cockroaches. We run from it. Here, he says, you haven't resisted in striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Here, by the way... He's uh, uh, quoting Proverbs 3, correct? Verses 11 and 12. And he says, my son, even in the Old Testament, don't, not even in, in the Old Testament, they said this, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Don't grow faint or weary or lose heart. All right, come on now. If your love language is words of affirmation, Right? You know, God bless you. And the only thing that you can handle is compliments. Well, you got to listen. Look, read this. What the Lord is saying here is for people who've entered into the relationship with God, there's something greater and higher at stake. That's this. That's your sanctification. You're being propelled down the uh, road of Christ-likeness. Get that? The currency in heaven is faith, hope, and love, not dollars and cents. So he starts when you become a Christian. He starts doing things in your life. And they're all for your good, aren't they, Joe Bellina? Romans 8, they're all for your good. That's his life verse. That's why I'm saying that. So here's the deal. If you're a Christian... Chastening, discipline is coming. But don't say awe about it. We said in the foundation of the faith group, when chastening and discipline comes to you, you know what we should say? Praise the Lord, I'm a son. Praise the Lord, I'm a daughter. What do you want me to learn in this, Lord? Not woe is me. What do you want me to learn in this? So what, what is it? What is chastening? Man, we had 100 A+. Plus answers today. Well, the Bible tells us chastening can come from a lot of things like this. You reap what you sow, folks. Don't go down to Tim's Corner Bar, drink 10 beers, uh, four shots, and a couple margaritas, and then get in the car and say, oh, Lord, um, please uh, help me to not wreck into somebody or to hurt myself or anybody. Uh, and if you do, Lord, you're not on my side. No, of course not. That's stupidity. You did it. 
you're going to reap the consequences of what you sow, right? Uh, another person in the, uh, actually quoted a Bible verse said, your sin will find you out. Why do you get chastened? Because you sin and it finds you out. But the other part is, clearly, the Lord sometimes has to bring discipline. And how does he do it? We said this again in the class this morning. Sometimes, you know, you've had that great discussion with your wife or your friend, and you're right. I mean, you're right. You're always right. <clears throat> but the way you said it, the way you said it was bad this way. But anyway, no, it was bad. And you walk away, and, you're, you know, for a few steps, you're like, man, I really won that argument. And then the Lord just says, holy cow, the way in which you said that. Right? Nobody else has been convicted like that. The Bible says you're to be long-suffering and be patient with others and to live in understanding with your husband. No, that's wife, sorry. Live in understanding with your wife, right? Live in understanding with your wife. And then, so, so as we walk through life, sometimes the Holy Spirit just convicts you. Guess what that is? Chastening. You get it? Well, maybe only I get it, but uh, you guys are asleep. It's as if you missed an hour of sleep or something last night. <clears throat> so chastening, and so he says here, my son, don't despise it. In other words, lean into it. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked. For whom the Lord love, he chastens. You're loved by chastening. And he scourges every son whom he recedes. Oh, by the way, there's one more uh, in the Bible reason that you would uh, come into chastening or hard times. In Corinthians, it says, when you receive comfort from the Lord in hard times, you're able to comfort others, right? You're able to comfort others. There's another reason. But I want you to see this. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? Well, that's the problem sometimes in in modern society, we don't chasten our kids. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, th- look at this. Then you're illegitimate and not sons or daughters. If you're, not re- if you're saying to yourself, well, I don't even, God doesn't chasten me. Well, I didn't say it, but the Bible says it. That you're not a son or a daughter of the king at this point. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? You want to have real life? Submit to the will of the Father. You catch that? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. You catch this, folks? You have divine resource. You have everything available to you. That Jesus is. And so that we may be partakers. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. But painful. Nevertheless afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. To those who have been. Look at this. Trained by it. Now listen. I'm sorry I have to tell sports stories. But it's the only thing I know. So here. When I was in high school. Our high school's 10th. 11th. And 12th. And we're really good in basketball, but we're really terrible in football. Guess what? I played football. But anyway, but I did play basketball. And in my 10th grade year, I played a little bit on the JV team. And then I got to the 11th grade. And then I got to the 11th grade. And I sat way down at the end of the bench, like like beyond the end of the bench. And we have a maniacal coach at our high school, like maniacal. Like if anybody of you know Bob Knight, it was like Bob Knight times about 1,000. And he was just maniacal. And he yelled and screamed and ranted and raved. And we did all kinds of crazy things. But here's what's really sad for me. It was tough for me. I sat way down there and he never yelled at me. Why? Because I was never going to play. Right? And so then about the middle of the year, I, I started to do better in practice. And one day I went to him and I just said, you know, I'm sick of sitting on the bench. I didn't say it that way. I said it nicer. Could you just put me in a, a JV game? And he put me in a JV game for a couple games. And I did well. And then he brought me back up. And I was coming to uh, the gym one day. And I was just a little late. But not too late. But just a little late. And I come around the corner. And the guys in the locker room go, coach wants to see you. And I went, oh, no. This is it. 
It's over for me. And I walk in there, and he goes, hey, oh, you're going to start in the varsity game tonight. But guess what started to happen? happen? He started to yell at me. No, that's good. Don't say aw. <laughs> I'd rather, here's the point. When I was in the game, he started to pay attention to me, and I knew I was a player. Now listen, our Heavenly Father, don't, don't, don't equate yelling and screaming and being maniacal with our Heavenly Father. Here's the point for you. Because he chastens you, you know he loves you and wants you in the game of life. That's what this is saying. I don't discipline somebody else's kids. I don't go to the Offerman house and take care of the Offerman kids. They take care of the Offerman kids. See, that's the point. I'm not their family, but he is our family. He's our father, and he chastens us. And the Bible says, Hear it, you, listen, even from the moans and the groans tonight or to this morning, we need to change our perspective on chastening. When we're chastened, the Bible says, remember, you're loved. And you're in, in, you're in the game of life that I've designed for you. You're back into the place that I've designed for you. you. You know where freedom really lies? True freedom. Do you know why the Bible says, if you're free, uh, if, you've, uh, you know, if you have me, you're free indeed? You know why the Bible says that? Because anybody outside of Christ thinks they're free, but they're really in bondage to sin and can't free themselves. But when we come back into the family of God and are filled with God, listen to this, and he's using us for what we were always intended to be used for, his glory, you're never more free than that. You're, you're, you can live fully ablaze for, for God because of the sacrifice of Christ. You see it? And here he's saying, don't deny chastening. Lean into it. It's good. I was happy to be yelled at after this because he was paying no attention beforehand. Catch it? All right. So here's what else. Therefore, watch this. Ray Stedman says this about this portion of Scripture. I think it's so fantastic. I'm going to read to you. Uh, Before we get here, uh, renewing your spiritual vitality is the next section. I want you to hear this. And if you want this quote, come to me and I'll, I'll, I'll email it to you. Ray Stedman says this. The world is not at all impressed with Christians who stop something or who stop doing something that the world is already doing. But they are um, uh, tremendously impressed with Christians who have started living the kind of life the worldly can, or the worldling can never live. That stops them in their tracks. And that is the life he is setting before us here. The world isn't impressed with Christians who stop doing something the world's already doing. They're impressed with Christians who've started living the kind of life that the worldling or a person that's not a Christian could never live. You catching that? Watch this. Therefore, he says, strengthen the, hang, uh, the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And that's getting more evident as the years roll by. And make straight paths for your feet. Don't, make them ha- don't let them be crooked. Make them go forward so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. You got to know your Old Testament, folks. We'll do it here in a minute. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now, what's this saying? Listen, for those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and are counting on his finished work at the cross and his resurrection and ask for his resource by the Holy Spirit to empower their lives, check this. The Lord says, people are watching. And you're going to be chastened. And if you're throwing out on Facebook, woe is me. I can't catch a break. 
Murphy's Law. That's so stupid. Don't, if you're a Christian, don't believe in Murphy's Law. What are you talking about? Sorry. It's my pet peeve. Murphy's Law. You live under faith. We live under faith. Chastening is from the Lord. It means because you're a son or a daughter of the king. He loves you and he chastens you so that you'll become more Christ-like and learn to live free and forever. All ablaze with his glory. And he says, first of all, listen, I know you're discouraged. In fact, you're tempted to go back, Hebrew Christians, into the traditional stuff. I know you're discouraged. Here, folks, you might have been serving on a committee for 50 years, and you're like, what is this all about? I gave $500,000 to this stupid church, and nothing's ever happening. And, and man, why? And, you know, I do all the stuff, and I get here early, and I've been to every Bible study, and I'm worn out. And he says, none of that matters. If you don't get it right initially, you'll never get the rest of it right. Is serving on a committee okay? Of course. Is giving money okay? Yes. But what he's saying is if you don't get it right at first, all of this will be wearisome or whatever I'm trying to say. Tired. You'll be tired from it. You'll be weary from it. Here's what he says is, listen, folks, the world is watching. You have all the resources you could ever need or want you have the holiness of Christ to partake in. Peter tells us everything that pertains to life and godliness, you have. So if that's true, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Get up off your knees and quit crying. Not that you, there aren't times of crying. We all need to cry. I cry when the Buckeyes lose, but that's another story. <laughs> But, you know, we all do that. There are times. But what he's saying is, don't muster up your own strength to stand up, but be strong in the Lord. Get up and stand and be faithful in the middle of very difficult circumstances because you know that chastening means the Lord loves you. So you can get up and you can strengthen your knees, not by yourself, but in the Lord. You, you get up, therefore strengthen hands, strengthen knees, make straight your feet so that you can heal. Don't you want to be healed? Yeah, so do I. And you move forward. Not f- you forget what is behind. Not that you forget, like close it off. You deal with what is behind, but you march forward to the upward call of Jesus Christ. You go forward. You move on. And that's beautiful and lovely. You'll, you'll start to heal. And then here, if you want to look so much different than the world, here's what you'll do and here's what I'll do. You'll pursue peace with other people. Hey, listen, folks, here's my pet peeve again. <laughs> I get it. I have, I have political uh, persuasions. I'm convicted in political ways. But I got to tell you, 50% of America don't believe like I believe. And guess what? The Lord says I need to love them. And guess what? The Lord says not only love them, pursue peace with them and bless them. And how are you going to do that? In my opinion, you better listen. I understand you got convictions. So do I. I got convictions. But it says here, pursue peace with all people. Not just this color of uh, uh, political persuasion or this color or on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle or on that side of the tracks or on this side of the tracks or one who looks like that or doesn't look like that. He says all people pursue peace. Now, the ultimate peace is connecting them to Jesus Christ so that they can have peace with God. If you have no peace with God, the ultimate peace is connecting them with Jesus Christ. So pursue peace. But then the Bible tells us that you also can have his peace reside inside of you. Philippians. So now you have peace. So when it all goes haywire and you don't get the money you think you should have got at the end of the year or you get the bad report at the doctor's office or this happens or your boyfriend or your girlfriend breaks up or you whatever listen to this you ask for the peace of God and when other people look they go wait a second she or he why are they acting that way and now you can connect them to the ultimate peace Jesus Christ here's the other thing pursue holiness in one sense look at this you receive holiness when you surrender your life to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might have the righteousness of God in him. In other words, I know how everybody's going to heaven who's going to heaven and so do you because you read the Bible. Everybody who's going to heaven is going to heaven because they're counting on the righteousness of Christ. Imputed into their spiritual bank account. How could you ever brag about that? 
Yet, the Bible says we're to pursue holiness because as we live here in this life, we still live in these mortal bodies. And sometimes we just don't do the right thing. We sin still. Even though we have an imputed righteousness, we still practically sin until we go to be with the Lord, right? Okay, so what? What? What am I saying here? Pursue that. Pursue the holiness of God. Pursue it. Lay aside weights. Lay aside sins. Uh, Live unto the Lord fully ablaze in faith. You see it? And when you do it, look at this. You know, this next little part of the verse causes much consternation in the church. They say, oh my gosh, I don't feel very holy. And it says, without which no one will see the Lord. Are you catching what this is really saying? It's saying when you live differently from the world, people will see the Lord. Are you getting it? So here, as you move and grow in holiness, people will see the Lord. When you say, you might be the only... Lord and your God, you know, you're not God, but Jesus may be seen through your life. This is it. You get it? So the Lord, looking carefully, uh, lest anyone sh- fall short of the grace of God, lest anyone root of bitterness spring up. Now, here, 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 here. This is really important because bitterness is toxic. Anybody know that? Raise your hand if you think bitterness is toxic. Who's it toxic for? The one you're trying to get back at? No, it's toxic for you. It eats you alive. And what, I don't know if you caught this, but a person who lives differently than the world, one of the things that they start to grow in, not that they fully understand it, but they they start to grow in it, listen to this, is the grace of God. And one way, look at this, one way you can tell people know about and understand the grace of God is when they're not bitter. Now you say, amen, amen, amen. But wait until the end of the month when your coworker who you outproduce gets the bonus and you don't. Jesus wrote about this in Matthew 20, by the way. He gives this amazing parable. In fact, I always say the way in which you read this parable is a litmus test to whether or not you understand grace. Here's the parable, basically. In the early morning, guy who was an employer goes and hires somebody to go work on his field. He says, hey, listen, I'll give you a penny. I'm making up the amounts, okay? I'll give you a penny for the full day's wage. Guy says, fantastic, I'll work for that. Next hour comes. He goes throughout the town, looks for some more people. Hey, if you come work out at the field today, I'll give you a penny for the full day's work. And it goes on and on and on and on. You remember this parable until the one or so hour before quitting time. And when the other guys in the field hear about those late arriving workers, what happens to them? They grumble and they're mad and they're bitter. And the point Jesus was trying to make is, what is it to you who I'm graceful to? Don't compare yourselves to other people in grace. In in fact, if you're uh, comparing yourselves to other people in grace, I don't know that you understand grace at all, I think Jesus is saying. Grace is God's unmerited favor that is not based on your performance or my performance. It's all motivated out of God's character. And he can give to anyone he wants. And you say, oh, that's great. Okay, I great it. All right. Well, how come I've been to 50 devotionals this year and that guy got the raise and, the, and nothing bad happens in his life, but everything seems to happen bad to me? Come on, these are real things people think. Guess what's happening there? You're becoming bitter. It's because we don't understand God's grace. What does the Bible say about when others prosper? We're to cheer them on and no competition. Oh, that's hard for me. We're to cheer them on and no competition. Yes, yes, wonderful. You made it. That's fantastic. Pastors have a real problem with this. Real problem. I tell this story all the time. Every time I go to the pastor's conference, it's coming. I know it's coming. I sit down to eat with somebody I don't know. They shake my hand, ask me where I'm from, and then here comes the question. It's, uh, it's like, oh, here it comes. So how many people you have in your congregation? <laughs> what? I'm always blown away by that. It's like, you don't even know me for half a second, and you're already trying to compare whether the Lord's doing greater things through you than through me, right? And that's a real temptation in people's lives. And so we've got to watch it in, other, in, other areas, uh, in, in all the areas of life. Pastors not excluded. You see that? 
Who cares what, oh, praise the Lord. They're down in Mon City with 2,000 people. They're, I don't know if they are or not, but they're down in Mon City with 2,000 people preaching the word. Wonderful. Let's pray for them. How can we help them? You know what some people do? Ah, that pastor, he, 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 you ought to see what he does on his day off. You know, stuff like that. That's, that's bitterness creeping in. And the Bible says don't do that with grace because the world is watching and roots of bitterness can spring up and they can cause trouble. And they, when, when, when you start to lose and, and, and get away from the grace of God, you could become a profane person. In other words, a worldly, a fleshly person like Esau, just like the fleshly people who compare and like are in it for the material stuff. For one morsel of food, sold his birthright. Now, this is fascinating, and it's 1154, and I don't have time to go through this. But if you read Genesis 25 and Genesis 27, there's two two things that Esau doesn't get. Esau, first of all, just gives away his birthright. Oh, come on. That guy's been, Jacob's been trying to supplant me or take my place ever since we've been little kids. I don't care. He can have my birthright. Just give me the stew. Right? But then something happens when his dad dies. Remember, dad's on the deathbed, and uh, dad loves Esau more, and mom loves Jacob more. And mom goes, oh, my gosh, he's about ready to get the blessing. Go out and get a hairy suit and smell like red meat. And because he can't see, I'll put you in there, and you'll get the blessing, mom says, instead of Esau. You'll get the blessing. Catch it? Birthright, he gave up. When he blessed the other son, though, he cried like a baby. Why? Why? (laughs) Come on. We hardly have to say it. It's just like American Christians. All of us want the blessings of God. But when we start to understand what it takes to be born again, I don't know if I want to go through that one. Are you catching it? Hey, by the way, check this out. The Bible says there, at when, and when Esau uh, is uh, um, not given the blessing, uh, the Bible tells us that his brother, right? His brother, it said that the older brother will serve the younger. Remember this? And that's when he started crying like a baby. I want you to catch something. Oh, this is almost too good to be true. Uh, in God's economy, listen to this. Esau, look at this, look at this. Of course, the line was going to come through his brother. The line was going to come through Jacob, of course. And God had uh, the ability to choose by grace who would get the line to come through. You catching what I'm saying? But look at this. He said, but Esau, you're going to serve your younger brother. And what did Jesus tell us? Tell us. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you could be a servant. Or you, you will be a servant. In other words, have you ever thought about this? Esau was in a position to be even greater than his brother. And guess why he didn't obtain it? Because he got bitter. He compared what the Lord was doing in his brother's life with his life. The Lord set him up. And, 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 and all he had to do was submit to the will of God. It's okay to be a servant, folks. Not okay. It's a blessing. If you get, oh, you know, we get people around here every, just every once in a while, they'll start coming to the church and week number two, they'll call me on the phone. Hey, can I meet with you? Yeah. Hey, you know what? I really feel called to be uh, preaching. Well, you just started coming last week. I know, but I mean, the Lord has a call on my life and I'd like to come up and preach. You're like, well, you know, maybe you could come more than two weeks and we'll see who you are and what you're all about and everything. And then they get mad and leave. You catching it? There's something about serving that shows the world who Christ is. And it pours out of your life when you're a servant. Here, he's saying that. Look, we'll finish with this. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the world should not be spoke, word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they couldn't endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beach, beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid 
and trembling. Now remember, I told you in Exodus 19, that's where this comes from. It's alluding to Exodus 19. Listen to some of the the things, the scriptures in Exodus 19. Just listen to this. Right as they're preparing for Moses to receive the Ten Commandments. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 9, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Verse 12, you shall sat... How about this one? If you were part of the congregation of Israel and Moses was your leader and he's saying, Hey, listen... The Lord's going to talk to us today, so, you know, just pay attention a little bit and, uh, you know, do what he says, and you get this one. Now, you shall set bounds, Moses, for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you don't go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Can you imagine? And Moses is leading you out to Mount Sinai, and you're like, dude, does the mountain start here? (laughs) I mean, how do we know where the mountain starts? This is making me nervous here. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Do you ever remember this part? Wait a minute. And of the sound of the trumpet was very, or the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. They were, they were scared. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace And the whole mountain quaked greatly. It was shaking. The mountain, Mount Sinai is... How unnerving would that be? Would that be unnerving? And that's what was happening at Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. He's saying here, listen to this. There's something greater and better about the new covenant. The old covenant was given under these circumstances. But verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. What's that? And to the city of living God, which, what is Mount Zion? It's Jerusalem. It's speaking of Jerusalem, the city, but it's also speaking of the heavenly city that will come in the new heavens and the new earth. Want to do yourself a great favor today? Read the last two chapters of the Bible and jump up and down. You know the rest of the story, Paul Harvey would say. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Look, look what the kingdom of God is like. You're at the place of sacrifice. You're there because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you're there where the living God resides. You're in the heavenly Jerusalem where there's an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all. I'm so happy that the God is a judge. That God is a judge. It gives purpose to life. Just let that one sink in. Who's the judge of all? To the spirits of just men or women made perfect. You read this and you go, praise the Lord. He's a judge. The penalty was already paid by my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit comes to live in my life as a justified man or woman. He's forgiven my sins, past, present, future. That's justified. And we get to live with him forever in maturity made perfect. That's what he's saying right there. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant... And to the blood of sprinkling that uh, speaks better things than that that of Abel. What does Genesis 4 tell us that Abel's blood did? It cried out for vengeance and revenge. And I want you to see something. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet enemies. He died for us. What does the blood of Christ do? Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. Christ's blood calls out for reconciliation between God and man. You kidding me? You see how sweet a Savior we, we, we serve? We can be reconciled back to God. Not scared or trembling, but come in awe, yes, but to the city and reside with him. So see that you don't refuse him who speaks. God spoke. Remember Hebrews 1? In these last days, through his son, Jesus Christ. If you say, I've never heard from God, I'd say, okay, maybe you haven't audibly. But you have heard from God at the cross. You know about the cross. He 
speaks, for if they didn't escape who, uh, who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Say, pay attention right here. If you know nothing of the Bible, here it comes for you. If you know of the Bible, same thing. He's spoken to you through the cross, Jesus Christ. He's spoken to you in old times, see, he spoke from the mountain in Mount Sinai, and it was black and trembling and quaky and nerve-wracking. Now he's spoken at the cross, which brought us peace with God and reconciled us back to him. You catch it? So he speaks in a greater, more wonderful way, <clears throat> whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Catch it. The kingdom of God has come to us in our hearts. So we have the kingdom of God and yet the kingdom of God is still coming. You know how? Because we're going to rule and reign with him in his kingdom when he comes back to the earth. Get it? You getting that? Okay, so the kingdom of God has come to us, but will be coming to us. Do you catch that? And so for right now, until he comes back, look at this. The cross is going to shake things up. And he's going to shake things up. And he wants you to live for one thing, him. So whether you're a tradesman or a white-collar worker or a blue-collar worker, or you stay at home and do the hardest job of all and take care of the home and the house or whatever, or if you work at wherever you work, or if you do these things, listen, I know your purpose. He's shaking you, even if you have the kingdom of God, listen, so you'll get rid of the immaterial, or immaterial worthless stuff. He wants you to run light. He'll actually even shake your world so that you'll get rid of it. Did you catch that? Well, because what's going on into eternity with you? All the wood, hay, and stubble that you've wasted your life on is going to burn away. The things that are for Christ are the only things that will remain. So he'll shake you. What is the Lord shaking you in today? What is it? Are you holding on to a job or a 401k or a pension for your security? Great. Be good with money. That's fantastic. But don't make it your idol. Don't say, if I get another job, I'm going to be happy. Be happy where you are. Be content where you are. Love where you are. Serve where you are. Grow where you are. Uh, love the Lord there. He, he's going to shake you and have you get rid of stuff. There, verse 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which can't be shaken. Because when the heavenly uh, uh, kingdom comes back, boom. That's it. No more shaking. We should write a song about this. Oh, no, no, there has been one. Anyway, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace. Isn't this beautiful? You say to yourself, well, you know, pastor, you stand up there week after week, uh, hour after hour, two hours after two hours, and you, <clears throat> and you always say these things about what we should be and how we should be and blah, blah, blah. But I find myself not being able to do it because, and here's what the Bible just told you. Don't muster up your own strength to do it. Receive from the Lord. It's by grace that you even serve. You want to serve the Lord? Ask him for the grace to do it. Ask him for the ability and the resource to love people who are unlovable or whatever ministry you're in. Here he says, by grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. If anybody tells you that the grace of God gives you a license to sin, they totally don't understand grace. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, oh, just knowingly go out and sin and God will pat you on the head with grace. Read what he says here. Grace enables you to live a life of godly fear, good, respectful fear, that respect of reverence and awe, so that when you go, I'm going to just tell you real quick, how do you know whether you're serving in godly fear? Well, let's say you're in charge of the chairs here, and Beck and the youth group and all the narrow way people, you know what they did? Not that I'm picking on them, but they forgot to put the chairs back for the Sunday morning service, and you walk in here on Sunday morning, and here's what 
half the people might say, and here's what the other half. I'll give you, uh, I'll uh, have you check off which one's the grace-fueled people. Can you believe those kids? They're just typical kids. I can't believe they'd leave that for me. Nobody's here to do it, just me. Guess what? You're serving in your own strength, and it means nothing. But if you say, hey, praise the Lord, Man, did you see how many kids they ministered to over the last week? I'll gladly set up the chairs. In fact, that's what my uh, uh, job description is. Set her up of the chairs. Why am I mad? <laughs> and you know in a million ways how that applies. And I, I save this for our God is a consuming fire. That's taken from Deuteronomy 4. God is a consuming fire. Now to the believer, God is a consuming fire is a blessing. You're saying to yourself, well, praise the Lord. But to the unbeliever, they read this and go, uh-oh. And they should. Because the Bible says for those who aren't in Christ, they're going to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and there's discomfort and darkness and no good there. You're separated from God. But for those who are in Christ... Listen to this. Consuming fire is a great thing. Thank you, Lord, that you've been the propitiation for my sins. And you took the wrath that was coming to me and you consumed it. And now the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was efficacious and enough. And now I can come to you into your presence. You're a consuming fire. And oh, by the way, Lord, now that as I walk in sanctification and grow, you're consuming all the stuff that doesn't matter in my life. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so here's what we do as we're going to have Tim and Corey come and uh, lead us in worship one last time. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're worried about consuming fire, then I'd ask you to come up after the service. I want you to come up. If, if I said to you, are you going to heaven, and you went like this, if you went, I don't know, I want you to come and talk to me after the service today. If the Lord's tugging on your heart in any way, if you're struggling with a sin or if the Lord's asking you to do something, I want you to come up and pray with us. And then if you're involved in the Sunday school, would you stay and uh, meet with Mike and Beck and Rachel and Lexi? And Yeah. Oh, one other thing. Here's what we're going to do too. After we're done praying with people, Parody and Rob's Diner is going to open... Uh, Tuesday. And uh, some of us are going to traipse over there. Maybe we won't traipse. Maybe we'll sashay. Maybe we'll just walk. <clears throat> and we're going to pray for the, uh, them and the diner that it'd be a great place of conversation and warmth and Christ's love and that it would glorify the Lord. If you want to join us over there, uh, come with us uh, over there here in about 10 minutes. So let me pray as uh, they lead us in one more worship song. <laughs> Did I do something wrong? Well, Lord, thank you so much for this morning, and thank you for these folks. And, uh, uh, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that the Lord's just hit their heart today, tugged on their heart, Lord. You have mine, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, have them come, and we can talk and, and fellowship about your gospel Lord, if there's anything else that there's a weight or that's hindering us or weighing us down, I, I pray people would come up and we'd pray for that. Lord, we give you this day and all days because you're the one worthy of being glorified and blessed and honored. Thank you for this word. And as these folks go out, may you comfort and strengthen and give them grace to serve and to love an unlovable world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.